We are in a series uh, called Clashing Kingdoms, and we've been studying the last events that lead up to uh, Jesus' arrest and his crucifixion. And uh, we, we come to Matthew chapter 24 uh, today, and uh, a good friend that many of you know is coming to preach for us this morning, and I'm thankful uh, for him. Uh, Luke has been on our team for the past few months, uh, serving um, in a discipleship capacity. He has been meeting with people one-on-one, discipling them, but also carving out some, some content for us in our missional communities um, to be able to disciple well in our missional community experience too. And then thinking through what does the future of discipleship look like for, for OCC? So I'm really excited about him coming to speak today. Um, he's also a part of a church planting team um, that is uh, launching a new church in Harlem. And so uh, Charles is here today too. Uh, Charles is a pastor there um, at Cultivate Church, uh, working, working with Luke. And uh, so really excited about them uh, launching in Harlem. Uh, they are a sister church for us um, as we're in the same network together. And uh, look forward to what God's going to do. I, th- I think you got preview services coming up this spring and all that. And so it should be a fun time. Hopefully we'll be able to help out in some ways. I think it'll be, be great to be, be able to help out in, in different ways with that. So, uh, but be praying for Luke as he comes uh, this morning and, and sharing with us uh, from Matthew chapter 24. Um, but come on up and take it away, buddy. Um, actually, we got somebody coming to read scripture, right? Yes, we got Skylar's coming to read scripture, and then we can cheer for you after that, right? You can double cheer. See how that worked? That's great. <laughs> Good morning. <laughs> All right, from Matthew chapter 24. As Jesus left and was going out of the temple, his disciples came up and called his attention to its buildings. He replied to them, Do you see all these things? Truly I tell you, not one stone will be left here on another that will not be thrown down. While he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples approached him privately and said, Tell us, when will these things happen? And what is the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus replied to them, Watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Messiah, and they will deceive many. You are going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, because these things must take place, but the end is not yet. For uh, for nation will rise up against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these events are the beginning of labor pains. Then they will hand you over to be persecuted, and they will kill you. You will be hated by all nations because of my name. Then many will fall away, betray one another, and hate one another. Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. Because lawlessness will multiply, the love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. This good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. But it's, it's good, there it is. But it's good that we can put our hope and trust in Jesus. He is trustworthy and true. The thing that we put our two feet on, the concrete, we stand firm in. Not a lot of things for me, but other than Jesus Christ. Is that true? Is that true? Now for me, there's a question that this passage begs. That this passage is not an easy passage. There's easier passages to study. There's easier passages to preach on. This is one of those passages where you kind of read it and you're like, okay. What are we going to do exactly with this? 
What is Jesus actually getting at? Why did he flip from them asking what they seemed like was a relatively easy question to doomsday and to jumping into the end of the age? I think the end of age is a question that we've asked ourselves many of times, that the world certainly has asked many a time. Y2K, anybody? Anybody know what Y2K is? Okay, all right. Uh, now, I was only five years old, so I gotta act like I know what that was, uh, but my parents sure remember. Uh, or 2020, uh, that sure seemed like the end of the age. Um, but we know, because of this passage and because of the library of scripture, that the end is not something we ought to concern ourselves with. Rather, we ought to concern ourselves with what? The kingdom of God coming to earth as it is in heaven. And so this passage sits in, like, he, like uh, Chris was saying, in the specific series of clashing kingdoms. What do we actually put our two feet on? I love that we sang this song, setting this message up. What do we actually find our strength in? What do we say is our kingdom? Because we have, our world answers that in a multitude of ways. I think one thing that uh, this, th- this passage brings up is the question of how do we deal with the imminent, the immediate, what is God doing now, what's happening now, in the future, our eternal glory? What do we actually put our hope in? What happens in the future? I do concern myself with the future. Often we concern ourselves too much with the past, though, right? What happened in the past, what I did in the past. And we find ourselves sitting in this moment answering the question, how does it impact my now and the future? Nothing in my life was impacted more with the now and the future. With July 15th, 2020, it's my birthday. I'll never forget this moment. My birthday, hallelujah. My wife sets this big deal up. We're going over to my friend Zach and Riley's house, and I was sitting. She says, hey, I need you to come to the front yard and close your eyes and turn your back to the front door. I'm like, I don't do surprises. Whatever this is, it's outside of the wheelhouse of my comfortability, so it doesn't seem like a happy birthday. She screams, you know, three, two, one, or whatever, and I turn around, and she's holding a sign about this big that says, you're going to be a dad. I'm like, you should see the photos of this. You, you think it's like, ha! It was more like, ah. I'm not gonna lie, and she would tell you this. I literally went into, I hugged her and did the thing, but then I went into the living room and just sat down and was like, I think I'm gonna be a dad. I don't know how to do that. But nothing more in my life impacted my immediate moment. Now we gotta get ready for the crib. We gotta start getting stuff ready for the baby to come. We gotta have a room in our house that's available, or apartment that is available for the baby, that we can utilize what happens with the street noise, what happens with more kids uh, come in the future. Am I gonna be able to financially afford? All these questions come in the immediate. But it also impacts the rest of my life. Baker is now two. Uh, My son is now two, and he's changing every day, and I'm learning how to become a father and how to love on them and be there for them. And now Sarah and Chris are getting ready to endeavor on this same run. Yes, yes. So, uh, and in fact, my my wife is due in April to have our second child. So we're going to have two boys running around like crazy. My immediate is changing again, okay? My immediate is changing again. But But the truth is, with... 
With having a son, it changed the moment that I was in, but it will change the rest of my life. This passage is answering the question, what is happening right now and what is going to happen and change for the future? And I I love the, the scriptures because most of the time you can't approach the scripture and ask this question. Well, what does it mean for me? Right? We go to John uh, 3.16, or we go to Jeremiah 29.11, or we go to Philippians 4.13, and we're like, okay, I mean, I'm going to win a state championship in football because I wrote on my shoe, I can do all things through Christ. He's like, I don't know what it means. But I think this is one of those passages where we can really go to the scriptures and ask the question, what does this mean for us? What does it mean for the disciples? We're going to answer that. What does it mean for the believers in the first century church? We're going to answer that question too. But I do think this, this, this passage directly relates to the believers in the room, to the non-believers in the room, to the believers in the city, and the non-believers in the city, to the believers and non-believers of the world. And that God is really interested in what is happening right now. So before we answer that question, would you bow your head in prayer with me? Dear Heavenly Father God, We love you, we praise you, we thank you, Lord, for an opportunity to come to the scripture to learn more about who you are, about what you're doing, and about how we can respond. Lord, it's in Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. So let's jump into it. Let's look to the very first two verses with me. If you have your Bible, open up to Matthew chapter 24. The screen is a cheat code if you'd like to use that as well. Um, You just get less heaven points if you use the screen. That's just less heaven points. Just kidding. Um, Chris is like, that's blasphemy. Get him off the stage. (laughs) So Matthew 24, verses 1 to 2, it says this. Jesus left the temple and was going away. When his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, you see all these, don't you? Truly, I... I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Really quickly, my wife and I moved to the city about almost a year ago, and she had to tell me for the first six months, Luke, I don't care that you know that building. I don't care that you can point out what building that is. I don't care that you can tell me the historical background of that building. I can imagine in this moment, Jesus is leaving the temple which we're actually going to find out is one of the last times Jesus is doing that. And you can imagine Jesus kind of departing. We see in Scripture often, over and over, Jesus will depart from the crowd. Jesus will leave the crowd. Jesus will get away. will kind of get by himself and pray to the Father or just spend some time alone because the crowds were always chasing him down and asking him to do signs and miracles and become the magician that they wanted him to become. So in this moment, Jesus is escaping the temple, getting away, And as Chris has preached on multiple times in this series, this temple's been a pretty hot topic. Jesus goes in and he flips the tables because they had turned it into a money change. Exchange, I should say. They're they're, they're turning into trading in the market inside the temple. We know that Jesus comes in and flips over the tables and and, and says, this is not going to be a house of a market or a trade, but this will be a house of prayer. We know that Jesus is reforming the temple. He's changing back the temple to what he believed the original intent of the temple was. But in this moment, there is, he's getting away from the temple. And the disciples are trailing in his footsteps, and they begin to say, holy cow, look how unbelievably beautiful that temple is. That building, it's so beautiful. It's not even finished construction yet, but when it does, oh my gosh, this is going to be extra- extravagant. 
And Jesus says this. Can you imagine walking through the city? Oh my gosh, these buildings are insane. How beautiful is this? And then your friend says, you see all these? See the buildings? See the temple? And actually from the Mount of Olives, it would have been like the best perfect view of the entrance of the temple. You could not have a better view of the temple. So when Jesus is speaking to his disciples, they're gazing at the entrance of the thing that they just were, were, were beautifying in their, in their uh, example or in the, the, the description here with Jesus. He says, all these things, you see them? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone, another that will not be thrown down. I want you to be able to put yourself in the shoes of what the disciples are hearing. See, this is where it's different. What, what, what Jesus is explaining to the disciples isn't just a building in Times Square that was very beautiful and good to look at. What Jesus wasn't uh, explaining was their apartment complex that they would be staying in. Jesus was explaining the very thing that they hold most sacred in the Jewish tradition. It's the place where God dwells, the temple. So now you have Jesus, the one you gave up your entire life to follow, the disciples. Specifically, uh, in this passage, we find that it's Peter, James, John, and Andrew. We find that in Mark 13. He's, they are the ones questioning Jesus in this moment. They're saying, hey, look how beautiful this is, and Jesus turns it on a dime. Not even a single stone of that building that we sit here and gaze upon will still stand. And as the disciples, it's really easy now that we can sit back on this side of Scripture and say, what were they thinking to ask those questions? But if I'm being honest with you, I'm still asking those questions. Jesus, what? The place where we reside for worship? I know it's got its issues. Imagine us talking about the church this way. I know it's got its people. And if people are there, we've got problems because people are problems. I'm a problem. But it's the church. It's the temple. Immediately after they get done just gazing on the beautiful picture of the temple, Jesus says no. But why does he do this? How does this make sense? Well, let me give you just a little bit of a history of what the temple actually means. You see, I said a little bit earlier that the, the temple is the place that God dwells. If it's true that this is the place of God dwells, God has actually incarnate the temple on earth over the biblical history. Let me show you, give you a little flyover of the temple garden where God has dwelled on earth. You see, because of Genesis chapter 3, God is using different forms of himself to dwell on earth for his people. He wants, he wants to dwell with his people. He wants to be with his people. In the beginning, before Genesis chapter 3, the Garden of Eden was the temple city of God. The temple garden. God was dwelling in perfect union and communion with his people, with Adam and Eve. That's the first example we see of the temple garden. God dwelling with mankind. The second one is the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant is the actual location where God would dwell with his people, and they had specific laws and these specific rules on how to carry it, when to carry it. We see in the Old Testament there were some problems when it came to not honoring the location of God. Then the third thing we do see is the temple, the building of the temple. David says, I'll, go, I'll build you a house. I'll build you this great nation. I'll build you this large temple. Eventually the, the, the construction of multiple temples over the Old Testament and into the New Testament 
would be built. And this place is now the exact conversation we're having in this temple, King Herod's temple, who built the temple up for the, for, for the place of worship. And there's a, we're going to draw a line between the third one and now entering into the, to the, the multitude of, of temples. The next is Jesus being the true temple. This is the, the, the tug and pull of our passage right here. That Jesus is the true temple. When Jesus is saying that building will fall and that will not even a single stone will be left, then you have to have the next place where God resides, right? Jesus in Mark 14, 58 says this. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands and in three days I will build another, but not with hands. We'll talk about this just a little bit more. The next place where God would dwell in the, in the corridor of Scripture, moving down the line, is the Spirit who comes after Jesus ascends. The Spirit of God will co- now come to the world. So the Spirit, any, any, the, temp- the temple is anywhere God dwells. So now the Spirit is dwelling in the earth. We know that as believers, when we accept Christ into our life, we receive the Holy Spirit. So therefore, number six, the next temple is the one whose spirit, the Spirit dwells within, which is the believer's on earth. This is our current reality. And lastly, the new heavens and the new earth, the new eternity, where the, it began as a garden is now a great city, where the new Jerusalem will come down to heaven and we will dwell, God will dwell with us forever. You see, we're stuck in this in-between in this passage where the building temple was still the dwelling place of the Lord, but we have God incarnate, Jesus Christ, sitting in front of the disciples saying, look, we need to turn our gaze away from the temple. And we need to begin to turn our gaze to the true living temple. And one day, the new kingdom of God, the kingdom of God that is coming to man, will live in us forever. And it will be us, his temple people, the new kingdom of God coming about in his people. So let's look back. I want us to keep this mind frame as we turn to the, le- the next part of the passage. Keep the temple m- mindset because it's really easy to, and, 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 and people for all of time have read this passage and have been trying to answer the question, what's going to happen at the end? I believe it's the wrong question. I believe the right question is, what's going to happen right now? Not looking and hoping for the future, although it does give us hope. Not asking what signs and wonders are going to happen. You see, look at me in verse 3. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying what? Tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? They asked him two questions after Jesus tells them the temple is going to fall. Okay, but hold on. That's our place of worship. When's it going to happen? And what signs should we look for to know what's going to happen? How many times have you done this? How many times have I done this to God? God, I will move to New York City if you can promise me. Boop, 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 right? God, I will marry this woman if you. God, I'll do this thing for you. I'll sacrifice my time or give up of something if you do these things for me. If you tell me, I can know that these things are to come. And what's interesting about the disciples is they would have automatically equated the end of the age with the end of the temple. That's how closely they were connected. And that's how bonded they were as people. If the temples fall, we fall. If the temple's done, we must be done. 
If the temple's gone, if the place of worship is over, the place where God has dwelled for all the time I can even think of as a disciple, then it must be the end of the age. Think about Jesus sitting there across from his disciples saying, it's, it's, kind of like, it's kind of the woman at the well moment. She's like, well, when Jesus comes back or when that Messiah comes, I'll believe in him. When that Messiah comes, I'll know to trust him. And Jesus is saying, I'm right here in front of you. When will this take place? What signs should I know? Similarly, we've seen this same question. As I mentioned a little bit earlier, John 2, 20 through 22. Think about this in remarks to the same question. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show for us doing these things? The Jews wanted to know, how do I believe that you are the true Messiah? The one we've been waiting on for years and years and years. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise up. The Jews then said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple, and you'll raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. The true temple. The true temple that the the, the disciples actually long for is sitting right in front of them. How many moments in our life right now are we waiting for something and God saying, I've been here the whole time. I'm right in front of you. You don't need that career. You don't need that thing. That will not fulfill. The true temple, though, he will fulfill. He is trustworthy. He is kind. He is good. The grace of our, of our Messiah is so good. It's trustworthy and true. I'm not going to make it all the way through this passage. It's too good. Verse 22, when therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that moment. And they said, They believed the scriptures and the word that Jesus spoke. The disciples needed the example. When Jesus rose again three days later, you know what they thought? He's the true temple. I see it. He was speaking about himself. He wasn't speaking about the building. No way he could get that thing up in three days. He was speaking about him. Maybe Jesus is better than the temple. Maybe Jesus is the temple incarnate. God with us. Why we celebrate Easter each year is this very moment. God with us. And for the disciples, it impacted their now, and it will, it will pack, impact eternity. Look with me in verse 4 to 5 of Matthew chapter 24. And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. When, think about this. If you're friends with somebody and you ask them, hey, what time are we getting together and what sign should I know that you're actually going to show up or it's actually going to happen? And he says, don't believe in the, the false God that comes. You're like, wait, wait a minute. I said, what sign and what time? He's like, don't believe in those who come that say they're me and they're not. Don't believe in the false hope that you can put yourself to that is not trustworthy and is not true. And like, but Jesus, we asked you what time and what sign. How immediate is Jesus' response in saying, hey, maybe you ought not worry about the time. Maybe you ought not worry about the signs of the coming of the end of the age and maybe look to the one who gives you hope for the beginning and the end and everything in between, which is Jesus Christ and Christ alone. Jesus is also indirectly answering their question. If they couldn't solely fix their eyes on Jesus when he was with them, how would they be able to focus their eyes on Jesus if he gave them the answers to the end of the age? Don't you think if they're worshiping the false 
temp, uh, God, which is the temple, gazing upon and telling Jesus, look how beautiful it is. He says, no, that will fall and I will stand forever. Don't you think if they gave them the answers, they would worship the answers and not the, the Messiah? Don't you think if we had the answers, that we would worship the answers and not the Messiah? Too many times we're asking God for something that we cannot handle. Too many times we're saying, God, if you just give me this, and he says, you don't need this, you just need me. Now these are where the two imminent timelines I spoke to about the me when I, had my, when I learned of the coming of my son, it impacted my now, but it also will impact my forever. These are the two, the two timelines that are beginning to happen. The imminent impact of the coming of the new temple because actually what's happening, Jesus is, is prophesying, Jesus is telling of the actual temple destruction and 40 years later from this moment, that actual physical temple goes to nothing. So he is not metaphorically speaking when it comes to that temple will be destroyed because the temple actually is destroyed, but he is also not metaphorically speaking about him being the true temple. That the answer to the question of why is it falling is right in front of our eyes. Look with me in Matthew 24, 6 to 9. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Before we even get into this, don't, this is where our world grabs onto the scriptures and says, oh, an earthquake happened. It must be the time. The end of the age is here. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famine and earthquakes in various places. Verse 8, all these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you will be hated by all nations because of me. I can imagine the disciples, when they hear this, aren't thrilled. Not only will your temple, the place where you worship, be destroyed. Not only will you not know the sign or the time, but you're probably going to be, not probably, you will be persecuted because you know me. Wars, famines, earthquakes. I'll never forget sitting in my college dorm room, read this exact passage, and a storm came. I was like... (laughs) Today's the day, Lord, the end of the age. I'm like, I looked out my window. I'm like, Lord, what are you doing? What do you want to tell me? You see, that is so, that was so immature of me because, this is, because Jesus is worthy of my worship, not the stars, not the, not the earthquakes, and not the answers to the end of the age. Jesus is worthy of my worship. God's response, if he, I heard him audibly, would have been Luke. What I'm telling you is I'm enough. And it's not about the time. It's not about the sign. Jesus speaks of these things, not of things to worry about, not of things to hold on to, not of things, well, if it doesn't happen, what's gonna, when, what do I do? But to make clear the impact believers will feel for the following of the new temple, Christ, the Messiah. Matthew 24, verse 10 to 12. So now Jesus has said, no, I'm not going to answer the time. No, I'm not going to answer the signs of things to come. But there will be famine. There will be war. There will be earthquake. But that's not even a sign of the end, he says. Matthew 24, 10 to 12. At the time, many will turn away from the faith 
and will betray and hate each other, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. So Jesus isn't avoiding the question. Jesus is not saying, forget about it all, just put your hope and trust in me. He is saying that things will happen. Earthquakes will happen. Famine will happen. In fact, people that say they follow me will even fall away. Things are going to take place that look like the destruction of this world. Maybe just like they put their hope and trust in that temple. And it too will fall. So if the temple will fall, if the earth will go to the wayside, what else do you have to put your hope and trust in? If your career will go away, if your finances are going to go out, if your relationships will fall away, if people rebuke you because of you know me, what else is there? This is a moment when the disciples are standing with Jesus and they're feeding the 5,000. And they say, there's no bodega or deli around. Where are we going to get this fish and bread? And he's like, look up. Stop focusing your eyes on the problems we have at our feet, but look up to the Jesus who is standing in front of you, the one who will and can and has made the way. There will be things that will want to take your attention away from me. Physical, tangible things that you can feel. The world will even answer the question, look, there could not be a God because there is problems. There couldn't be a God. God would not be good if he killed people in an earthquake. God would not be faithful if there was famines coming. How could God love if problem takes chaos and chaos takes it to death? No way God would love us. Now look with me in Matthew 24, 13 to 14. This is where we'll land the plane today. You're like, thank goodness it's going to land. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> if you're a believer in the room, this is our hope. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then, and only then, the end will come. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. In Hebrews it says, the one who runs with endurance to the end of the race. If you're a believer in the room, the hope that we have is that Christ is trustworthy and true. And he's called us in a, in, into a life of understanding that we are kingdom people in a new regime. That the Father, the one, we can, the one that has his hands over all things, is the one that we can put our hope and trust in, not in the things of the world, not in the, 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 the changing weather, not in the changing uh, provision, not in the opportunities that may or may not come, but we can put our hope and trust in that Jesus is trustworthy and true. And after this moment, Jesus would go to the cross. So you can only imagine the disciples are saying, oh, wait a minute. You, we put our hope and trust in the one that's willing to put his hands in the, in, in, into the, to the cuffs of the Romans? The ones that are willing to die? Jesus, what are we going to do without you who said you are the new temple? You see, that so fixated upon the building. We ought not be so fixated on the things of this world. But three days later, Jesus rises from the dead. And immediately they see it. Jesus is the true temple. Jesus is truly worthy 
of our worship. We are kingdom people who have the spirit of God within us as we are a part of the gospel of the kingdom which will be proclaimed to the end of the earth. So where do we land in this scripture? The garden, back in Genesis chapter one, all the way to the kingdom city in Revelation chapter 21 that says there will be no more tears, there will be no more sorrow, there will be nothing, but, the king, but God will dwell with his people. We sit between the garden and we sit between the city. And God says, I want to cultivate the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven through my people. Please don't be worried about the end of the age, but be really worried about your friends, about your coworkers, about the people that may not know the true kingdom. Fixate your eyes upon the one who is trustworthy and true. Become kingdom people for the kingdom of God. I truly believe If you are in this room and you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he wants to use you for the kingdom coming. He wants to cultivate the earth, not just because he cares for it, because he wants to use you to glorify it so that the world may know the king through his kingdom people. How may the world know his people? By the voice of his people. Let me walk away with two things. Number one, and the band can head back up. Number one, let us not grow fond of guessing when the end of the age is coming. Let us not grow fond with the answers to the questions that we have on this side of heaven. Let us not lose sight of the kingdom for the many kings that we have. I love to be my own king. I love to be my own God. I love to answer my own questions. Let us now not grow fond of those questions. And number two, let us, as people who trust in our Lord over all, look at his magnificent plan for his creation and be a part of the kingdom of God being redeemed for the king. Whatever gift and talent whatever the thing the Lord has called you into, use that to cultivate the kingdom on this side of heaven. That one day, yes, us as believers will dwell with the Lord forever. But until then, if we still have breath, if we still have life, we're called to use it for the kingdom of God. We're called to to cultivate the kingdom on this side of the world. You see, the point of the series is that two kingdoms are colliding, the kingdom of man and the kingdom of God. And we really have a choice. Do we put our hope in the temple or do we put our hope in the true temple, Jesus Christ and Christ alone? Let me pray for us. Father, we love you. We praise you. It is in you we find hope. It is in you that we find peace. It is in you that we find that you are trustworthy and true. And Father, without you, we would be nothing. So God, I pray, Lord, that we don't look to answer the questions that you're not asking us to ask, but we look to answer the question, who is trustworthy and true? And who doesn't know the one that is trustworthy and true? That you would use us as his people for the kingdom of God to cultivate a place that we would sing, Hosanna in the highest. May your name be known. In Jesus' name we pray.